this is an exciting day. <laughs> and the, the microphone's really loud. Um, so this morning is our new senior pastor's first day with us. Uh, so Brad Wright um, and his family are here with us. Uh, we are so overjoyed and excited to have y'all. Um, I just I hadn't thought about this until this moment, and I said, Brad, I want to introduce you. Um, we're just so excited. I'm thrilled. I know you guys are excited um, to, to have Brad join us in our mission here to love and serve our neighbors and our community here in the Woodlands. And so um, join me in welcoming and thanking Brad for coming to be with us and for getting to have him preach God's word to us. I'm just going to keep fidgeting until you stop. So that's your, that's your one opportunity to clap for me. So thank you for doing that. <clears throat> it is exciting for me to be able to be here with you. Um, I love this church when I was here, you know, many years ago. I was grateful to be here. I know some, I know a lot of you. I don't know all of you, so I'm looking forward to that. But I've had a bunch of my friends, you know, I've been a, a pastor now for a while. I've got friends all over the country who are pastors. And the text that I get from them is something like this. Oh, my goodness. Are you excited? How are you feeling about it? <clears throat> I've, started I've started copying and pasting my responses on some of that. But the two kind of ideas that I have as I think about um, being the pastor here now is I'm incredibly humbled and I'm, I'm very excited. It's, it's very humbling. Being a pastor is a privilege, Colin, I know that. Um, but to be able to respond to a call that the church has for me to move my family into the woodlands and to give ourselves to walking with you uh, to figure out what it means for us to hack into incarnating and making the presence of God known through the life of our church and through our lives together for as long as God's called us to be here in the woodlands together as God's people. Um, it's a really, really humbling thing because it's a task far too great uh, for me to trick you into thinking I have figured out. It's really a power of God's Spirit working through His people um, to give us grace that's sufficient to be able to actually do this thing we're doing, to worship God together, um, to be able to bless one another, to do what Jesus tells us to do when he says, here's, what, here's the greatest commandment. I want, you to love, I want you to know that I love you, love me with all your heart, and love each other. You do that, you're imaging me well. And so it's, it's very humbling um, to be able to do that. But I'm also very excited uh, because I've seen God do great things. And if there's anything I've learned as a pastor over the years, it's this, and it's great news, is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are so much more interested in our church thriving than any of us are individually and probably all of us together. He, is, um, he has things plans for us. Uh, he's, he's preparing things for us. He intends to make the kingdom more visible through our time together and that's, that's very exciting. Um, I, I'm grateful for the staff. You know, I, I know a lot of them, and I've, I've spent time with them this week, and I'm continuing to get to know them. So please be patient with me. You know, one of my pastoral weaknesses, I'm not great with names, but I am great with apologizing and trying to, like, learn them eventually. But I look forward to getting to know you. Um, and, you know, we're starting now, as I come here, we're looking at Psalms. Y'all have been looking at Psalms for a couple weeks we're going to look at it together now. Um, the Psalms are one of my favorite books, um, and I'll tell you all about that in a moment. But we're going to start with Psalm 1. So let me read Psalm 1. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me just, let me pray briefly. Father, we do give you thanks for your word. We thank you that um, in Psalm 1, you give us insight into thinking about what it means for us each individually to follow the way of the righteous or for us individually to follow the way of the wicked and how one way leads to life and the other leads to things that we don't expect and it's often destructive. And I would ask for your grace to be with us as we think about your word and that you would use it by the power of your spirit to shape us and teach us more about your affections for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, one, you know, I, I've been a pastor for a while. I've actually been married even longer. And one of the things that, you know, I have realized about Jamie and I is that at least 50% of the time, if not more, if we're having a disagreement or an argument or, you know, we're having a conflict, what I realize about... 10 to 12 minutes into it as I get tired enough to actually listen and I begin to understand, oh, I actually agree with what you're saying. I just didn't hear you right. Like I couldn't get into your head well enough to understand what you were saying, but I, I totally agree with you. And our relationship with God can feel like that sometimes. Like if you were to ask the question, what is God thinking? How does he approach me? You know, what are, what are his expectations? The Psalms are an incredible place to go for just that. The Psalms are not something we rush through, although you can read them in haste. You can read one quickly. Um, but they're actually something we return to often because in the Psalms you find questions addressed like, who is God? What's he like? What does it mean to live well? What does it mean to be fulfilled? What do I do when I am doubting God or I'm wondering if he's faithful? How do I voice my deepest sadness or my deepest fears? How do I communicate um, in, in, excitement? and the experience of grace and joy? How do I complain to God? How do I delight in Him? What does it mean to pray, to see, to know God? What kinds of words can I use that are accurate and effective and meaningful enough for me to be able, be able to address these things in my life? Well, the Psalms is full of that. The Psalms are a place where even Jesus Himself, on the cross, in one of the most significant moment in the story of the Gospel, where Christ dies for us and then he rises again, says from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus uses the Psalms to articulate accurately to the Father what's going on in his heart. And we can learn from that. And so that's, that's my prayer for us as we move through the Psalms together this summer is that we develop a prayer language. We develop the ability to accurately cry out to complain, to give thanks, to praise, to delight in, to use words that God has given us to use to be able to speak well of who He is. And as you search the Psalms, there's a promise you're actually going to find something. Unlike Craigslist, right? You can look through Craigslist or Facebook, you know, Facebook Marketplace or whatever, and you look for stuff, and even as you're looking at pictures, you're kind of wondering, is there actually a treasure here, right? And, that, and we've, Jamie and I, she's amazing at finding deals, and she'll find something, and sometimes I go look at it, and I'm like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this, but oftentimes it's a treasure. Well, in the Psalms, if you will search out the Psalms, if you will spend time in the Psalms, if you will read the Psalms, God will let you find treasure, okay? So with Psalm 1, here's kind of the three ideas I want us to think about. 
From Psalm 1, we learn about what it means to um, find the way, what it means to embrace the way, and then what it means to live into the way. What it means to find the way, to embrace the way, and live into the way. And this is not a Mandalorian reference, right? But finding the way from Psalm 1. Those first couple verses, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. What's not being said in Psalm 1 is, keep your distance from people who are wicked. Uh, Keep your distance from people who you think are detestable. You're missing the entire point of the psalm. The psalm is actually asking you to ask yourself, what in my life, what in my life am I living into? How am I finding my way? Is it my own way? Or is it God's way? Uh, In following God's way, I find something. In following other things, I find something. Don't fall into that trap of thinking, oh, this is is telling me to make sure I don't hang around certain people. There's some of that going on with the sitting and the the mockers and all that stuff. But the real point of it is is it's more internal to consider if you were going to define your way of living, your way of being, would it be a way that is following after God's ways, which is called righteous here in the Psalms, or a way in following your own ways, which is called the wicked. And the reason isn't, um, really the main reason for it, is that in following God's ways, it leads to life and beauty and resurrection and renewal and good things. And in following other things, like what Jeremiah says, that our heart is deceitful above all things, in following our hearts as the first order of business, it often leads us to places we would never, ever, ever want to go if we knew it led there, Or you can just trust the scriptures, which say following that way leads to destruction. You know, this is a question our culture is asking a lot. What's the secret to success, right? What's the secret to the good life? What's the secret to living well? How can I be a good parent? How can I be a good husband? How come these horrible things are happening to me? Is it because I'm wicked? Is that why bad things are happening? Or there's great things. It must be because God's particularly impressed with me. Like, what is the secret to success? And you can find all sorts of books to tell you about it, or you can look into, um, you know, listen to your own favorite podcast. There's tons of places you can go to kind of answer that question of what is sort of finding the way, what's the secret to success? Um, The scriptures here talk about this idea of being blessed. Like, what is this blessedness? You know, our, our culture has an idea for this word. It's called either good luck, maybe a person who has a bunch of, you know, opportunities. What is the secret to these things? There's a metaphor being kind of employed here. God is inviting us into trusting his ways because it leads towards his goals for us. It leads towards his desires for us. And those things are always good. And the metaphor he uses is a tree that's planted by streams of water or chaff that's sort of like if you were to think about dust in the air. If you were going to define what you want to give your life to over the next 15 years, would you like to give it to this metaphor of a tree that's planted by water that's going to need? Or would you like to give it to this metaphor of ultimately all of my labor, all of my angst, all of my worry is kind of like taking a bunch of dust and going like this and watching it blow away in the wind. That's what the psalmist is inviting us into considering. The biblical concept of being blessed this kind of tree idea, is being planted in, in a place where you know you can be fed the nutrients you need, being, you know, for the tree, proper irrigation in the water. Its roots go deep, and it produces fruit, we read here in the scriptures. 
It produces fruit in its own season. It's a beautiful picture. And then there's this idea of the wicked, this idea of chaff, something that lacks significance, something that sort of fizzles even into dust. It's what happens to all of us if, if our modus operandi, if the way we kind of always function is to turn away from God's ways, it will always lead us into ultimately giving ourselves to things that if you were to go like this and turn it into dust, it would blow away. God's inviting us into something better. You know, when I was a child, I remember collecting comic books. I don't know if any of you did that. Um, but they were kind of the world to me. And I remember my brother colored in one of them one time. And I was livid. I mean, I, I went nuts. I think we even got into a physical altercation, you know, at ages 10 and 9. I don't even remember what that comic book was about. But in that moment, it was everything to me. And now I'm realizing, you know what? It just doesn't matter. And what are you giving your life to? When you look at your life, all of us see things we've given ourselves to that turn into kind of dust. God is asking us. He's inviting us. He's calling us to actually trust in his ways, even when it seems difficult, even when it seems complicated, because in trusting in God's ways, it leads us to this standing among God's people. It leads us to having the certainty of his favor that is toward us. That's why we talk about having faith. Trusting in God, even when it seems difficult, because ultimately, whatever he's calling us into, that's finding our way that will lead to life. Secondly, this idea of embracing the way. How do we actually practice this finding of the way in our lives? Again, people have lots of things to say about this. Kind of like, what does it mean to be Zen? You ever heard that? Like, how, how can we be Zen? Here's a definition of what it means to be Zen. Zen is a form of meditation with a focus on the mindful awareness of the present moment. In common lexicon, the phrase being Zen or having a Zen attitude has come to mean viewing life calmly and with equanimity. By this definition, being Zen is about doing right for the mind, body, and soul. It can help you relax, have a positive outlook on life, and find a higher plane of spiritual work. Now, when the Bible talks about going the way of the blessed, what does it mean? Is it this kind of idea of just being able to view life calmly and with equanimity? The kind of spiritual platitudes of just happy, clappy Jesus version, just smile your way through it, don't worry, it's going to be okay. It's all about your good attitude. It's true, having a good attitude does have a positive effect. Of course it does. I very much enjoy being around people who have a positive attitude versus the alternative, right? There's something there, that's true. But we need something so much more significant than that because life is so much more difficult than that. When you're facing your most difficult, darkest moments, it is not going to be helpful for someone to come to you and say, hey, just be Zen. Just kind of like, you know, move past it eventually. And in fact, when God sees our weakness and he sees our sin, what does he do? He sacrifices his son. The greatest thing he could ever do for us. He gives us everything and says, this is the cost of, of what's going on in your life. I want you to be forgiven. I don't want you to be defined as the wicked. I want you to be able to become part of the righteous. He doesn't give us a platitude. He calls us into something even better. So what does it mean for us to embrace that way? A couple ideas. One is to understand that we have an authority that's greater than ourselves. We have a, an authority that's greater than ourselves. He shows us the way. He doesn't say, okay, here's the deal. Here's your body. Here's your life. Now go make the most of it. I hope it works out well for you. No, he, he actually gives us direction. He, he says, look, this is the way that leads to righteousness. This is the way that leads to blessedness. This is the way that leads to, even in the midst of great difficulty and turmoil, 
the certainty that I'm going to be with you and there's going to be blessedness once we move past this. To have a greater authority than ourselves means we don't ultimately trust in our own hearts and minds above all else. That's a really difficult thing to do. But let me give you a very clear example of why it's, why it's actually something you might agree with. Style. You ever looked at any of your pictures from 30 years ago or 20 years ago and thought to yourself, man, I want that outfit back. I want to wear those Z Cavaricis. I need those guest jeans. If I could just, and some of that stuff comes back in style, of course. But one of the like, clearest things you can look at and see about people is that their opinions and their hearts change. Can you imagine basing the most significant questions in the universe on the style of thinking of the day? Of course not. And yet it's kind of our default mode. And God calls us to pause and say, wait a minute, I'm going to actually put my trust in the authority of one who has defeated death. I'm going to try to yield, even when my heart is pushing in every other direction, to trust in the authority of the one who says, hey, here's the way of the righteous. Here's the way that leads to life. I know your heart's telling you otherwise. I know circumstances are really going to be challenging, but trust me, this is the way that's like being a tree that's planted by streams of water that when the hurricanes come and the storms come, this is the tree that will stand. Plant by this place where there's streams of living water. We have an authority greater than ourselves. And the good news also is we have a source that's greater than ourselves. You know, this isn't just my idea. God himself gives us a source that can give us life. You know, beware of anybody who seems to have the answers to everything. Only God does. He gives us living water. Where can we tap into this thing that God's given us, this source of life? Well, we're here doing it. The ministry of the church, the work of the church is meant to equip us as Paul writes in chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, to equip the saints for good works. God is actively at work in us. He gives us the church. He gives us the scriptures. You know, here's a challenge for you this week. You're spending this time uh, thinking about Psalm 1. Read Psalm 1 a few times this week. It will take you less than two drinks or three drinks of coffee. It's not a long psalm, and yet it has profound truths to shape and to give you strength and authority greater than yours, a source of life where God says, if you will feed on my word, I will feed you. I will nourish you. I will give you a fruit that yields in season, as the psalmist says. And that's a tough one. Because oftentimes I want fruit to yield in a particular season. Like, I've trusted you and I want the answer now. Well, sometimes that's not the season. But God says, if you are getting the source of life in Jesus, if you're planted yourselves near living streams, if you're hearing from His Word, if you're digesting His Word in your soul, if you're celebrating the sacraments, you know, baptism meant to mark us as God's people, even when we don't feel like it's true. The Lord's Supper, a meal where the King of heaven and earth says, I want you to come dine with me because that's your future and that's who you are. You belong to me. Regardless of the narrative screaming at you from every other place, you are my beloved. That's the source of life. It's greater than anything else we could give ourselves to. And what's amazing is, as you begin to drink from these streams of living water, God will use you to be His presence in the lives of other people. Now, before I came to Grace, I was a pastor at Christ the King for three years and eight months. And one of my roles was um, that I got to do, and I'll probably get to do at this church, is to be able to talk with children about their faith. And it was a really meaningful experience. And there's lots of great things going on at Christ the King where I got to do this. And I've had some different emails. And I just want to read to you one, and it's not... Um, it's a beautiful little story. I love it. It'll, it'll mean a lot to me for 
you know, for the rest of my life. But I read it to you as an example of how God can use even somebody like me to remind someone else about his affections if he's our source. And so this person sent me this email. I wanted to send you a note to thank you for the impact you've had on our family over our time with you at Christ the King. You've been a consistent welcoming face to us at Christ the King since we first arrived. We felt much love and care from you, whether you were calling to check in on us at home or your presence in the preschool. I also appreciate your gift to connect with our kids. I vividly remember you spending time with our little one at the city camping event, and she still talks about playing glow sticks with Pastor Brad. We will miss you, but at the same time, we're excited for you at Grace and are praying for you as you go. It's just a small little story where I took enough time to break some glow sticks open and play with a little girl just to remind her what? That God loves her. That God's interested in her. And to me, it was just a quick moment, but it actually has become part of her little narrative where she gets to see in her own life where God is loving her through other people. That's what God calls us into. And we're not capable of doing it unless the source is our Savior. Jesus says in John chapter 4, these words, when he's talking to the woman at the well, and she's there getting water, and she is something, she's someone that would be called wicked. Like, people did not want to be around her. She had a really difficult life. Um, and Jesus says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And do you know what springs do? They don't just pool. They overflow. And that's exactly what happened in her life. As she was forgiven, she began to become a place where she was a source of what God had done. And that's what God's calling us into. It's His authority. It's His source. Somehow He yields it to us and says, hey, I want to do this in your life so you can begin to be a presence of my authority and my grace in the life of other people. To embrace this truth is to begin to move toward a full, substantive, blessed life, as the psalmist talks about. This is what it means to go the way of the righteous, to believe He has authority, to believe Jesus actually has a source for us. And it's most difficult to believe those things when we're most challenged. And we are certainly living in a challenging moment. And yet, God's authority has not been challenged. The source of Jesus as our redeemer and sustainer, it's still true. Planted by those streams, we get to experience that. And because of those things, we get called into a greater uh, community of faith. The uh, psalmist writes here about being in the assembly of the righteous. That is not the assembly of the perfectly obedient, clean and neat people. That's not, what, that's not what it is. That's what we hear because we don't use righteous very much around one another. Like my kids have probably never heard me say something like, you have been so righteous today, right? And they've actually never said that to me, right? I mean, it's a concept that we think of and we're like, well, that's other. Um, actually, God is saying, because I love you so much, this is the assembly of the righteous. You are my people. I've given you my power. I've given you my grace. This is who you are. So what does it mean to find the way? It means to begin to have faith that God is who he says he is. And what does it mean to embrace the way? It means in your spiritual journey to begin to ask yourself the question, what's really my authority when it comes to how I think? What's really my authority when it comes to how I love? What's really my authority when it comes to how I forgive and how I'm going to interact with someone who's being difficult? What's it mean for me to really think that Jesus is the source of life? How am I embodying that? When I see someone struggling, do I think I have the answer or do I want them to find the answers that God has for them? You see how that changes our approach to people? We become beacons of who he is 
uh, versus uh, being God ourselves, which none of us can do very well anyway. And God calls us as a people into that together. So the last idea here, two things to think about as we begin finding the way and living into the way of, of who God is. Um, th- these two ideas of what uh, of present realities and future certainties. Okay, present realities and future certainties. Eugene Peterson said this. He's a writer and author. Um, I've learned a lot from him. He said, you know, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop in the same stores, read the same newspapers, are citizens under the same government, pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, get the same distresses, and are buried in the same ground. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. See, for us to begin to understand that God's way actually leads to life means that no matter what it is we're facing, even in that moment, whether it's a time of great excitement or a time of great struggle, God is present with us. God will guide our steps. Kyle was talking about how we're trying to figure out um, meeting together for worship and how do we uh, rightly care for our church during this time. You need to pray for us, but you need to also know we're going to cling to Jesus and his gift through the spirit of the shared wisdom of our session to navigate such things because he's able to be with us even in the midst of something as complicated as what we're dealing with right now. That's our source. That's how we're finding our way. So, some present realities to consider. Every person should do this. One is, ask the question where you are living wickedly today. Like, where are you living wickedly? Where are you acting as if God is not who He says He is? To live wickedly doesn't mean that God now is not interested in you. It means God wants you to live to something greater. He wants to deliver you from lies. He wants to actually work in your heart so you begin to believe that He is who He said He he is. That he's faithful. You know, the reason we're warned about the way of the wicked is because the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And you see this with children, right? Uh, When my children were young and they wanted to play with a truck in the middle of the street, I never told them it was a good idea. But they really thought that it was because they liked the lines. Cars drive on the streets. My car should drive on the street. No. You know what? I didn't get them out of the street and them go, you know what, Dad, thanks. I appreciate that a lot. They can't get it. But they did trust me because I love them. That's what God's calling us into considering when we think about the question of where am I living wickedly? Where am I being, you know, um, distracted by bitterness? Where am I really struggling with anxiety? You know, it's not that um, everybody experiences anxiety. And there's lots of coping mechanisms we should employ. But the chief one is this. God is with us. God is present. God is gracious to us. So where am I living wickedly? But also, where am I seeking to live righteously? You know, coming to worship, joining on live stream, hearing from God's word, praying together, wanting to be part of a community of faith. Those are all things that as we do as a community, God promises through his spirit to feed us with streams of living water. Even when we don't feel it. But especially when we do. You know, I'm so grateful to be able to be here with you. It is a gift. You know, it's a real honor. But it's also a reminder to me that God is at work and I'm part of the great assembly. 
seeking God's face, meditating on his word, worshiping with his people, confessing our wickedness, confessing our sin as we did earlier with Kyle, and then also hearing God's words of encouragement. God's desires for, for us is to walk in the newness of life, not carry the guilt or whatever else we can come up with. Those are present realities. I think they may even be things you could say in your own spiritual journey today, where am I? Ask those two questions. And then think about future certainties. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, as we sing together, as we worship together, as we walk together, as we pray for and with one another, all of these things are, are, are opportunities for us to stare into the fact that we are more than just in proximity to one another. We're actually God's people. There's a reason why we send and greet one another with God's peace. Because it's what you need this morning. It's what I need this morning. God's grace is sufficient for us. It's true for me, and it's true for our community, that as we seek God's face, he makes promises to us in the future that no matter what's happening now, he has more for us. And one of the prayers I have for our church is that God would give us grace, God would give us faith, but also that God would call us into trusting him together as we move forward. God has things planned for us that we don't even understand yet. And the good news of God's grace is whether you're a Christian or you're just learning about the faith or you're not sure at all how you feel about who God is, God is still gracious to all. We read in the scriptures that Jesus came not just to save the world, um, but to also not to condemn the world. He comes to deliver. You know, grace, my prayer for grace, I hope it's true, um, you know, for you, you're longing for our churches. We continue to be a people where God desires any who are interested in hearing about his love. This is a place where they can come and explore that. This is a place where they can come and experience that because we're seeking to love one another as he has loved us. And so two, two just final thoughts. One is, which way are you going? Please ask yourself that question this week. We ask it of ourselves every week in worship. We kind of force you to if you go through the liturgy, right? We praise God. We adore him. We confess our sin. He gives us words of encouragement. We extend peace to one another. God speaks to us. God feeds us. And then we're sent out with this blessing, with this benediction. We do that as a, as a microcosm together every single week. But it's actually kind of what it means to be Christian, the way of following Jesus. To be so amazed and overwhelmed and, and having faith in God's grace that you can actually ask the question of, where am I kind of believing lies right now? God, show me your truth. And then secondly, if you know you're planted near the streams of living water, I, I am asking you to do this as this first week as your pastor. Begin praying for our church. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray that God would open doors for us to proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly, Paul asks. And so if you're wanting to know how to pray for our church, for our session, for our leaders, for our diaconate, for our staff, our ministry team leaders, pray that. Ask God to open doors for us. Watch for him to do so. That means you're exercising faith. Be thankful when you see him work. That means you're actually acknowledging who the source is for the good things that are happening in our church. And so pray for our church. Ask, God, ask that God makes this a place where the streams of his living water are easily accessible to all. Okay? This week, um, we will be meeting. And so specifically, do I would ask for that, uh, that you pray for us as we think about our church and this summer and what's going to happen in the fall. Kyle and I are going to be meeting in the next couple of weeks planning our fall with other staff members. And so there's lots to pray about. The good news is, is that God's desire is that grace would be a place 
where his streams of living water flow, and, and that's at the center of our hearts, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, we do give you thanks for your promises to us in the Psalms, especially in Psalm 1 where you tell us that we will stand in your presence because of your promises to us, the great assembly. Would you bless us now as we hear your word? We ask your spirit would apply it to our hearts and shape us and give us the faith to truly seek after the way of the righteous because that's the way that leads to life. We ask this in Christ's name, our Savior. Amen.